welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. So it's not Isaiah, so we're going to take a break from Isaiah and take a slightly uh, easier book to grow through, and that'll be the book of Revelation. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And for those who are not familiar with Revelation, is it's in the very back of your book, before all the uh, concordance and maps. and The last book of the Bible, Revelation 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 13 this morning. So uh, in this letter that we're going to look at within the book of Revelation, for those of you that are maybe not familiar with the book of Revelation, or maybe you are, uh, so the book of Revelation was a book written really for the encouragement of the seven churches in Asia Minor uh, in chapters 2 and 3. John the Apostle writes letters to the churches in Asia Minor, and, and he really writes to them to encourage them in the midst of persecution of all that is going on in their first world or in the first century in world history they're going through some hard times and some of them are doing well and some of the churches aren't doing so well but in the process of writing these letters this letter of encouragement to the churches it's also a letter to us as a church today if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, it's really an unveiling of what God is doing behind the scenes, even in this very moment of our world history. And I really like that about Revelation. It's, it's, uh, it's like, you know, peering behind the curtain and seeing, oh, this is how it all operates. This is what is really going on. And so God, through the apostle, gives the churches a glimpse into that, for the purpose of them to hold on, to cling on to the Lord, to uh, really be encouraged. Because what happens here in the book of Revelation is God, this is like, uh, using the baseball analogy again, this is like finding out the score of the game, the, the end, at the end of the game, hey, your team wins. And so you know that going into it, but along the way, there's going to be some ups and some downs. You're going to be losing sometimes. And maybe your, your star pitcher or your star player is going to get injured. But don't worry, you guys are going to win. It's really a letter of victory about what God is doing in world history. So even for us today, as, as we go through this, we already know the outcome. God wins. God rights all the wrongs. We rise from the dead. But in the process of life, and we can all attest to this, that sometimes life stinks. Sometimes it looks like we're losing. Sometimes we get persecuted in, in church history. Maybe not us presently, thankfully. But you know, if you, if, you, if you look at the political climate, and even in our society, our church, our beliefs, our lifestyle could tend to be put on the wrong side of history. Right? Our world is going one way with their norms and with what they believe is right and what is wrong. And our church is still over here. Like We're being told, hey, you guys need to move along with the times. But that's not true. We follow what God says regardless of what society does. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes you might be thinking, man, what are we doing? There's, there's less churches in America. 
There's less people living like myself or believing what I believe, and it looks like we're going to lose, like the church is going to be snuffed out. But again, remember, the book of Revelation tells us that that's not the case, that it may look like that, and it may feel like that, and it may even be like that for some time. But in the end, God wins. And because God wins, we win as a church. And so knowing that, a little bit of background, a little bit of a buildup, Let's look at what God says to one of the churches in Asia Minor. And this church is called the Church of Philadelphia, not the one in the United States. The United States didn't exist when this letter was written. And so, this letter, again, is, is to, to remind the church there. And they're at, which we'll see in a moment, they're a small church. Not unlike us as a church, a small church. But we have a big God. And so this is actually one of the churches, one of the only churches, there's two in these letters that are commended for their faith and not scolded. Because sometimes churches need to be scolded for how they're not following the Lord, how they're giving in to society. The church at Philadelphia, though, is not giving in to society. They're holding fast, holding strong, as you will see. And so God is going to encourage them and really, it's a lesson to us about enduring faith. How does our faith endure? And that's what the title of this morning's message is. So, so let's, we're going to read this letter, and it's at verses 7 through 13, and then we'll come back and talk about the specifics of the, the encouragement to the church, and then as we go through it, you'll see how that is encouraging for us as a church today. So it says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly, Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And, I, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see the plural there at the end says it wasn't just written for one specific church. It was written for the entire, all the churches that are contained within the book of Revelation and by extension, you and I today. For those of you that have, uh, maybe some of you caught some of the language there in uh, Revelation that really mimics a lot of what Isaiah says to Israel. And I'm going to make some, some points of comparison along the way. It's really interesting the book of Revelation really uses a lot of the Old Testament language and imagery uh, throughout. 
And so for those of you who like to study the book of Revelation, it would be, you would do well to know the Old Testament really well, as these early believers did. So let's look at this message uh, that God speaks to the churches. Uh, and this is really going to be our first point uh, for this morning's sermon, is that God, uh, there's, there's a foundation behind this message. Let me say this first. You know, if somebody tells you something, uh, especially nowadays, if you get news from a certain source, you want to know that that news is accurate, correct? You know, the big term now, probably thanks to our president, is fake news. We want to know, is this really fake news or is this real news? And how do you determine that? It depends who is the source. Where is it coming from? What sources did they gather to give this message to whoever they're talking to? And the same is true for this message this morning here in verse 8, because verse 8 really tells us the foundation of the church's faith. The foundation of this message really relies on the messenger who ultimately is God. And, and that's what I want to point out this morning, that the author of this message is God. God is the foundation of the church's faith. And you're going to see that throughout the text God starts off, before he encourages the church and commends them, he reminds them who he is and where their faith comes from. He builds that firm foundation. And he starts off with this point, number one, that God, the, the, God, that God is the one who is like no other. God is different from everybody else. He starts by verse, eight, uh, verse 7 saying, uh, he who is holy. So this is who writes. This is who is giving the church their message. This is who is giving the church their faith. It is he who is holy, meaning God, the one who is like no other. That word holy was a familiar title for the Jewish culture when they referenced God. A lot of times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 54, for example, verse 5, Isaiah writes, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is, the, who is called the God of all the earth. And then again in Isaiah 41, 14, Isaiah writes, Do not fear, O worm, Jacob, O few men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Again, here Isaiah is reminding the, the, the nation of Israel that it's the Holy One of Israel that gives you your faith. It is the Holy One of Israel who drives all the promises of Scripture. And holy means, for those of you that don't know, holy means to be sacred or set apart. So God is set apart from everybody else. He is like nobody else. And this is who Israel is to rely on in, in our text this morning. This is who the church, specifically the church of Philadelphia, this message is coming from the Holy One of Israel. And you can trust it. Which brings us to our next point. The foundation of the church's faith is not only the Holy One who is like no other, but it is the one who is faithful to do what he says. So when the, the writer says, he who is holy and who is true, true literally means the one who is made of truth. 
God is made of truth. God is real. He is genuine. God is faithful to do what he says. And so it's good for the church to know that, hey, whatever is going to be said to us here in a moment, it comes from the Holy One who is true, meaning he doesn't lie. Scripture tells us that God doesn't lie. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, Scripture says this, God is not a man that he should not lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Here in Numbers, God's reminding his people, I'm not like everybody else. I'm holy. I'm separate. I only speak the truth. I don't lie. When God says something, he means it. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And again, for the church at Philadelphia, this message that is coming to them is true. It's coming from God. God doesn't just say things and not stand behind them. Remember in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, Isaiah wrote, So my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what, it, what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. He also says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the God who is speaking a message to the church. This is the God that you and I trust. This is the God who wrote these scriptures, these words. He does not lie. He does what he pleases. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So again, he's building this up for uh, the church at Philadelphia so that when he gives them this message, they know that it is true, that it is going to happen. So moving on. So God who is holy, who is true, and he also gives himself another title here in verse 8. He, verse 7, I'm sorry. He says, Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens? Well, what does that mean when he says he has the key of David? Well, quite simply what he means by that is God is the one who has all authority on the earth. Right, the key of David is a reference to the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, God's people. Remember, King David was to have an heir to sit on the throne forever. And Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 22, 22, that this is going to be Jesus Christ himself. He says, then I will set the keys of the house of David on his shoulders and he, will, and he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. Again, this is talking of God's authority over all the earth. And he has the keys to the kingdom, is what he's saying. The kingdom of David, the kingdom to salvation, the kingdom to judgment. If God opens the doors of salvation and invites you in, they will always stay open to you. They will not shut. And if he shuts the doors of salvation to some, they will remain shut. Again, this is a way of saying that God is the king of the kingdom. He holds the keys again to salvation and judgment. And it is from this foundation, giving the church of Philadelphia this assurance, assurance that this is the God who is speaking. This is the God whom you serve. This is the God who is now going to give you a message. And that takes us to verse 8. Because he, he says at the end of verse 7, 
the God who is holy and true and who holds the keys of David, says this. What does he say? Look at verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So what is this message that he gives to the church at Philadelphia who's going through some tough times? He says this, I know your service towards me. I know your deeds. God says, I see what you're doing, Philadelphia. I see what you're doing, Renaissance Christian Church, and those of you who are a part of it. I know your deeds towards me, towards him. Excuse me. He knows your hard work and your toil. Maybe you think, hey, nobody sees what I'm doing, or does God even see what I'm doing? Yes, God sees it. God knows it. How does he know it? Because he's the one that opened that door of ministry to you. It's it. That's what he's meaning here in verse 8. He says, I have put before you an open door which nobody can shut. I have planned this out before you. I have given you this ministry. I have given you this area to serve. You can even say, I've given you this life to live. I've put this before you. My plan is going to prevail. Nobody can shut this door in your life or this area of ministry. I know your work. Again, He has placed this service that you render to Him right in front of you. And He knows what you are going through. And again, this is what He's meaning to the church at Philadelphia. I see your deeds. I see your toil is the literal word. Your hard work. Your blood, your sweat, and your tears that you're giving to the ministry, which really you're giving to the Lord. So he's going to encourage him. He says, I know this. I know your deeds. Not only does he know the deeds of the church, he says, I'm going to fight on your behalf. Look at verse 9. He says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. God is saying, you know what? I see your good deeds and I see these people that are in this church, the synagogue, who are basically saying they are the real church. I see them fighting against you, but you know what? I'm going to fight on your behalf. I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. Again, the first century church was battling with the old synagogue and you see this going on over and over, especially in the book of Acts, where the new believers are starting these churches and then they, they're fighting with the Jewish authorities. The Jewish authorities say, no, you need to come to synagogue. You need to be circumcised to be a real Jew or be a part of the real church. And here God is telling the church at Philadelphia, who seems to be going through something similar, that, you know what? I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to make those who say that you're not the church to come and bow down before you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you victory over them. And I can't help but think of modern day in our own life, and maybe you feel this, where some people say, you know what, you Christians, you aren't really believers of God. You don't live like people of God because you don't love everybody. You don't let everybody do what they want to do. You try to have them conform to some ancient uh, religion. You guys aren't the true church. You don't portray true love. You don't conform to society. 
This is the way the church is going. And unfortunately, some churches are leaning towards more what society says, what government says, and not exactly what Scripture says. And God is telling us, just like He told them, you know what, you hold on. You keep following Me because one day I'm going to right every wrong. I'm going to reverse the fortunes of your world. That's what we see here in verse 9. When they come and bow down at their feet and they know that the church is really who God loves. The church that has stayed close to God. This is similar to what's happened in the book of Isaiah over and over again. Uh, specifically in Isaiah 60 verse 14. We went over this a few weeks ago. Where this reversal of fortune, it's the same language here used in Revelation. In Isaiah 60, 14, Isaiah writes, The sons of those who afflict you will come bowing to you, and all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet, and they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Even though we're not studying Isaiah, I'm still going to give you scriptures in Isaiah. Because they just relate. You can see, man, John really knew Scripture when he wrote the book of Revelation. Right? God is fighting on our behalf. You might not see that because, again, it might be like the sixth inning and we're losing. You know, especially here in the United States, it looks like society's norms and even government interference is winning over the church. They're going to change the direction of the church. But don't give up. We know that we, are, we gain the victory. God is fighting on our behalf. And that's the message God is giving here to the church at Philadelphia. I know your service, guys. I know the hard work that you're, give, you're doing. And guess what? I am fighting on your behalf. And again, for those who are part of the church, my exhortation to you this morning is cling to the God of the church. For again, we know the outcome. Don't let momentary setbacks, momentary trials and tribulations discourage you from following God. Again, this letter was written to a church that was suffering so much. They were even called that they told they had a little power. And that really meant not that they had not enough power in God, but that they were small in size. Kind of like our church. Even though we're little in power, God sees our faithfulness to Him to be obedient, and to not deny His Word. And God will reward that. And God will reward you if you are little in power, meaning maybe you're the only one in your family that believes. God will reward you if you continue to cling on to Him. God's going to use you mightily. I pray that the Lord would use our church mightily in your life, in your family's life, and in our community. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much again, for your word, for this encouragement that you gave to the church in Philadelphia. And I pray that these words that we hear for them, that we would also hear them for ourselves, that we would realize who this message comes from. It comes from the God who is holy, who is true, and who is all-powerful, who is sovereign, comes from the God who gives us our faith and preserves our faith and will reward our faith. Help us, Lord God, to stay faithful to You, to be obedient to You, to cling to You, Lord God, in good and bad, 
For we know the outcome of this life. And I pray, Lord, if there's any struggling this morning in their faith, Lord God, that this message this morning would remind them that You are going to preserve them. That as as they hold on to You, Lord God, You will get them through. And I pray, Lord God, that You would give them some relief, whatever that means in their life. I pray it again that this word of encouragement would help them, Lord God. And again, for those, Lord, who are listening this morning who are not part of Your church, Lord God, that they would see who You are and see what You have done for them in sending Your Son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins, that they, Lord, would repent and believe in You. I pray that You would help them to do that this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we pray this all in Your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us, or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.